last week I got on a plane. I didn't tell anybody in the week or two ahead of the time, uh, other than my mom, uh, which created enough stress in my life that I was going to get on a plane. The plane isn't an issue. The plane is probably the safest spot to be, right? I mean, everybody's forced to be masked up and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, But that plane was landing in San Diego. And I was heading from there to a hotel conference room. And in that hotel conference room, well, I will I will share a couple of photos. Um, I'm a I'm a bit of a cautious guy, uh, so it was it was very interesting to me to see uh, just what things looked like once we got uh, down there. So it looks in the background very much like 2019. Uh, 350 people shoulder to shoulder, uh, no masks, uh, just just not a concern. Everything was cool. So. I was a little distressed about the idea of, uh, you know, dropping myself in the middle of that. So I grabbed a cocktail table at the back of the room, pulled it 20 feet back from the back corner of the back row. And that's how I set myself up. And uh, indeed, a couple of COVID tests later, uh, I'm good. Which there's one other detail I'll touch on. I, I mentioned it yesterday during the mastermind. $129 for the rapid COVID test in Canada to cross the border, and you need the antigen test to go into the U.S. And then once down there, you have to find somewhere to get the PCR test to come back because Canada Customs wants a PCR test. But in the U.S., the antigen one is quite, quite the quite popular one. Not that it's popular, but it's the one that U.S. authorities tend to prefer. So you have to make sure you get the PCR test on the way back, which is a little trickier to find uh, a facility to get tested and if they do that 72 hours before you come back so i went and got my test 71 hours before my flight time because i didn't want to get caught down there i also bought the ultimate platinum plated uh, travel insurance instead of the usual 15 bucks i spent 78 bucks i think i had like five million dollars worth of coverage just in case i mean it's uh, you know it's like 10 20 grand a day to wind up in a hospital down there so i got all that sorted out but you know, business travel wise, okay, so it costs an extra 500 bucks for COVID tests all in. Uh, and then took an hour of the trip down there to grab an Uber and go get the test and everything else. Um, not ideal, but boy, imagine the long-term ramifications of that for a family of four that want to go to Disneyland. Like that's an extra $2,000 for a family trip to Disneyland. I mean, I'm I know I'm pretty old, but I seem to recall my my, my dad budgeting less than $2,000 for the whole trip. Now, we drove down and didn't fly down, but that's a whole other story. But anyway, that, that it's going to be interesting uh, as far as travel goes. It's an interesting aspect. So there's a couple side uh, sidebar issues around uh, travel and um, cultural differences. So from my notebook, I'm going to do a little clap for my editor. From the notebook, here's what I've got, things to think about. So this is a collection of highlights and notes that I uh, took during the, the three days that I was at Darren Hardy here last week. And um, this really only goes about 23 pages into 160 plus pages of notes. But here goes, here's, we'll scratch the surface. Millennials, millennials matter, as, as we know. Uh, by the year 2025, 75% of the workforce will be composed of millennials, the leading edge of which uh, that generation turned 40 uh, this year. So millennials are entering their 40s, and they are absolutely the dominant 
uh, members of, of the workforce, which of course, you know, you pretty much got to be working to get a mortgage. So who are we going to be interacting with primarily, uh, especially over the next five to 10 years? It's really going to be all about the millennials, but pay attention to Gen Z because of course those are in a lot of cases, uh, right, you know, they're right behind the millennials, pardon me, and they drive an awful lot of purchasing decisions as well. The leading edge of the uh, millennial wave, they're 24 years old, and they are more diverse in all ways uh, that one can be diverse than any previous generation. So very, very diverse uh, generation. There's, there's a lot of research we could dig down into on Gen Z, but I mean, let's face it, the oldest ones are 24. They're not quite in our wheelhouse yet, but they are influential. They are influencing certainly millennials and the generation slightly past that. Uh, and another stat, $6.5 trillion printed in the U.S. in the past 18 months. 40% of all of the money printed in the U.S. in all history was printed in the last 18 months. That was an interesting one. I mean, you know, I put a little asterisk next to it with an inflation question mark. Uh, you know, the more currency you dump into an economy, historically, the more that spurs inflation. And there's a really interesting conversation to be had with somebody much smarter than I about how inflation is actually calculated in Canada. Because we've always you know, claimed to have these you know, sub 2% inflation, uh, inflation numbers. How does that make sense? I mean, if you look at the price of fuel, the price of housing, the price of insurance, uh, the price of Gucci handbags, Whatever. I mean, they've all run a heck of a lot more aggressively than 2% annual inflation. So things that matter to us have outpaced inflation, reported inflation numbers. So as a good friend of mine, Ozzy Jurok, likes to say, we live in the time of the greatest unreported inflation ever. So all that money being dumped into the economy in Canada is not far behind, of course. All this cash that we're printing and dumping into the economy is it going to trigger inflation? Well, arguably, inflation's always been a pretty big factor in our lives. Uh, without a doubt, I would suggest to you it's going to continue to drive real estate prices up and up and up. It just is. And that is, of course, exacerbated by the fact that there's such a limited supply. Uh, I myself am buying a detached home in a community where the entire municipality the current council is opposing and proposing to eliminate any future development of detached homes. So in that city, there will be no more detached homes built. I was someone who's just bought one. That's actually good news for me, but that's not good news for somebody who's hoping to buy a detached home 10 years from now or 20 years from now in that community. Because detached homes, if they don't build anymore and people continue to pile into that community, it continues to grow through multifamily and condos and whatnot. You know what that means. Limited supply, increasing demand. Another tip that I wrote down, cultivate your constituency. Your database is everything. Now, experienced brokers know this very, very well, right? I mean, our referral partners, our past clients, that's where the gold is. And I would suggest to you that a great practice is, you know, ring, ring, hello. But one of the first questions inside the first 60 seconds uh, that you should be asking the caller is, 
excuse me, sir, can I just ask who referred you to me? Not how did you find me? I would ask a leading question. Who referred you to me? Because it sort of plants a subconscious expectation in the client's mind that you are all about referrals. So for starters, you're planting that very first seed of extracting a referral potentially from this person. It also suggests that you're probably pretty good at what you do because normally people refer you. You're not you know, running Google AdWord campaigns, social media campaigns. You've got people who refer to you. So as I say, it helps position you as the expert. And that's the topic we'll get back to as well, positioning yourself as the expert. So it suggests that you're good at what you do because people talk about you. Now also it's important to be good at what you do. That obviously is a key factor. Three things to value in your business, cash, AKA oxygen. You've heard me say it before, money. It's not the most important thing, all right? It's not, it's not, it's not more important than oxygen. You need oxygen more than you need money, but money is probably right next to oxygen. It's probably right behind there. I mean, it, you need a base level of cash to survive and it's oxygen for your business, right? Your business isn't a living and breathing organism. Your business arguably depends upon cash as oxygen to keep it afloat, to keep it sustained. So cash, number one, people, number two, you, your staff, your supporters, your database, which is the third one that was mentioned, database. So cash, people, database. The database, of course, is more people. So arguably, it's all about cash and people. There's a gentleman named Stefan Arneo, who um, unfortunately passed away a few years ago at a far too young of an age. He wrote a book a few years ago called Money People Deal. And I've always thought, man, that's a great title. But I would have presented it more like an equation. Money plus pe people equals the deal. Because if you got the money and you got the people, you can find a way to make things work. You can make your business work, ultimately. And talking about people, a great blog post that we should all probably read on an annual basis. I know it's been probably five or six years since I've read it. It's um, the one by Kevin Kelly called 1,000 True Fans. If you Google Kevin Kelly, 1,000 True Fans, I think it's hosted on Technium. Uh, and there's an adaptation as well. Uh, there's an ad adaptation of a blog post to a book called 1,000 True Fans. Interestingly, not written by Kevin Kelly, but he's the guy that wrote the original blog post. I also like Raving Fans by Keith Blanchard. That's also another, another great book that talks about people, people, people. And to this end, reviews. Reviews matter more than ever. Are you asking for them? When are you asking for them? How are you asking for them? What does that look like? The when, uh, the peak level of happiness, that's when. So that peak level of happiness in a transaction, that might be the day of COF, when you've given the client the all clear, we're broker complete with the lender, you're good to go, remove your subjects, firm up. Okay, who has subjects? I know we're back into that space again, it seems, over the last couple of weeks. But once you've got that approval, all conditions are met, no more documents required, here's the document stack, let's sign off on it, everything is done, you're set. That may be the peak moment of happiness in that transaction, or it could be once they've signed off at the lawyers. That, that could be as well. You need to figure that out, and that's the time to ask for a review and or a referral. And consider in the how category, sending a link uh, through something like uh, the uh, program called Bird's Eye Reviews. 
something like that allows you to review the review before it actually goes live. So it's almost like a filter. It's like a gatekeeper. So instead of that client, instead of you just saying, hey, can you write me a Google review? And then saying, sure. And like, I've never written a Google review in my life. So I would actually go to Google and type Google review. And I'd have to figure out how to type you a Google review. I, I don't know. So hopefully you're going one step further and sending me a link that I can click on to type you a review. But better than that, why not send me a link that I'm not even going to realize has a filter in it where the review that I type goes back to you for your approval before it posts. This is, I think, a smart way to go. Control, control, control. That word's going to come up as well. In fact, it comes up next. A very strong emphasis was put on control. Controlling your catch. Controlling your team roster, i.e. hiring the best. Firing the worst. Uh, it reminded me actually of um, Jim Pattison, our local billionaire here in Vancouver. Uh, started out with a GM car dealership back in the day. And uh, he's, he's, this story is pretty well known locally, probably uh, beyond our borders here in, in the city of Vancouver. But at Jim Pattison's dealerships, at the end of the month, whoever had sold the fewest vehicles was fired. That was it. So you probably didn't want to start at a Jim Pattison dealer with like six days left in the month. That, that probably wasn't when you wanted to start there. Um, but you started there on the first of a month as a brand new salesperson. You're going to hustle that month because if you don't beat the next person to your left or right, you're gone. It was a one month career for an awful lot of people. Arguably a little too aggressive. Um, and that was definitely like 1960s uh, style. But anyway. Interesting, interesting thing to think about. Control, controlling your database. Have you at the very least built out a MailChimp list? Do you at the very least have an email list so you can reach your clients if you need to? And are you using it? I mean, you should be. You should be because it leads into the next piece. Be the trusted advisor, aka, as I often say, position yourself as the expert. Well, what's the number one way to do that? Send your clients every three or four weeks, ideally no more than 200 words, a nice quick read, but touch on a topic of some kind around mortgage world and it'll hit their inbox. 20% of them will open it, 10% of them will read it, but a good 50, 60% of them will see your name, hit the inbox, they'll think of you. And that's half the battle right there is just keeping your name in people's minds as the go-to for mortgage data. So there is still to this day, significant power in an email list or your database. And some of the other things under trusted advisor um, I, that I liked, signs that you fall into this category. You use words like client, not customer. You use words like advice versus information. And I, I think you know we all have had this conversation many, many times, right? Clients, you know, file, not deal, fiduciary, not functionary. I'll come back to that one. But we all want to be told what to do at various points in our lives, in our days. And ideally, we want to be told what to do by someone we view as our champion, someone we trust and respect. And we don't want to be told what to do by just anybody. We, we want that person to be validated in our eyes. So what are you doing to validate yourself in the eyes of your clients and prospective clients? What are you doing to validate yourself 
as that champion, as that trusted advisor in the eyes of your referral partners. You better be doing something, right? I mean, we all want help, ultimately. We don't want to be sold. You know, a six-year-old can see the difference on someone offering to assist them versus trying to sell them on something like selling them on eating vegetables. You know, what's what's the angle here? There's always an angle. Then speaking of angles, as I say, fiduciary versus functionary. Those are two words that I think it's really important for every broker to understand. I mean, a fiduciary is beholden to their client. We have our client's best interests at heart. So if it makes sense to advise our client to do nothing, then that's what we will advise. If it makes sense to advise our client to go back to their own lender and work with their own lender, and we can assist them, give them some language, some skills, some tips, maybe a, a, a letter from us with some information on it to help hold their current lender to the current lender's feet to the fire, that's us being a fiduciary for our clients. That's us being the trusted advisor. We're not acting in our self-interest, we're acting in our clients' best interests. And the majority of brokers do that. They absolutely do that. And you know, the 60-second clip that I shared uh, of Jake via email last Sunday night, and I shared it at the beginning of this, uh, if you're tuned in live, if you watch the entire episode, that clip is taken from episode 209, you'll see that is Jake's story. If you followed him on Instagram, you saw it over and over and over. He was constantly sharing information. He was constantly trying to help people understand that, no, no, you actually could become a homeowner, right? I mean, that's one of the biggest problems we have right now is the percentage of people with great credit, and they're largely millennials, absolutely. They are largely millennials with great credit, solid incomes, and ability to round up a minimum down payment. They maybe just haven't thought all the angles through on that. And they actually would qualify to own a property. I mean, I can remember 10 years ago, more than 10 years ago, interacting with people who would say to me, well, we, we're not sure we're going to be able to qualify for, for what we'd like. And they qualified for double the amount of mortgage money that they actually wanted. Now, that was pre-stress testings. At this point, most people are qualifying right around exactly what they're after. And in a lot of cases, people are finding themselves qualifying for slightly less due to how onerous the, the stress test has become. But I will not digress on that topic. But like I say, it's all about positioning yourself as the expert and, and thinking of yourself at all times as a fiduciary. A functionary is someone who is a salesperson for a single institution selling that one institution's products. They've got internal sales targets they have to hit. It's that Jim Pattison model I talked about. You bought low, low person at the end of the month on the, on the sales report, you're gone, right? Like you're, 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 that's, that's the whole thing. Like what is driving you, right? Are you being driven to hit targets set by a corporation that is the only corporation you work for? Or are you being driven by an intrinsic motivation, extrinsic, intrinsic? There's another set of $100 words that it's good to understand the meaning of. Right? Most of us in broker world are intrinsically motivated. We want to help our clients because it makes us feel good. It makes us feel valued. That's what most humans want more than anything in life is to feel valued. And so we have an intrinsic drive to help our clients to do the right thing for them because it makes us feel good. Now, 
eating and having a roof over your head, that makes you feel good too. But the intrinsic motivation in most brokers' lives leads them to become very successful and all of those extrinsic rewards, things, uh, they, they follow and it kind of takes care of itself. So again, you know, touch on my friend Jake there. He offered advice, not information. He cared about others finding success for themselves. And he was authentic and he would speak with anyone with enthusiasm. Darren highlighted three other words, which for me validated much of what we've discussed over the past 230 plus episodes. And, uh, and that's what I'm going to wrap this up with here. These three words were clarity, simplicity, and certainty. Clarity, simplicity, and certainty. These are what people want more than ever. And they're in short supply in many areas. Like there's not a lot of clarity for a lot of people. The world is a very confusing place right now. I'm not going to get into a tangent on the things, but you know, you don't have to go very far to find very confused people who are not clear on how to behave, what to do next. Like clarity is lacking, and, and you know, clarity is arguably lacking in a lot of messages being delivered to the public at this point. Simplicity. This is another one, obviously very challenging. I mean, the clarity is skewed, I think, by a lack of trust in the sources of information. The simplicity part seems to be further compounded by, you know, in, in mortgage world, let's keep it simple, uh, simplicity is tough to come by, right? It's been skewed by government regulation, by a myriad of lender policies. It's just, yeah, simplicity left mortgage world an awful long time ago, it seems. But that's our role. Our role is to filter out all of that complexity and boil it down to something simple for our clients and ultimately give them the most important thing of all, the new gold, I would call it, which is certainty. And if you could figure out a way to package up certainty and offer that to the market, you'd be rewarded significantly. And these three words are the filter that I look at a lot of things in life through. You know, will my words offer, right? Will my actions support? Like, will my words offer you clarity, simplicity, certainty? Will my actions support Clarity, simplicity, certainty. Am I right now establishing with you, this person I'm speaking with, any level of clarity, simplicity, certainty? I, I hope so. Right? Deliver on these three words and you win in all areas of life. There is, in a nutshell, the first 23 pages of 160 pages of the notes. So I could probably do a few more episodes like this. That was about a 20-minute rant. Thank you.